Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to MBR, or as we like to call it around here, Nothing But Rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about, and I pontificate upon them. These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome in to the Film Guy Network on a fabulous, maybe a terrific, a terrific mm. Tuesday evening here on the network. We got a loaded one for you guys tonight. Uh, but first, I want to start with this. Um, patience. Patience is very, very rare these days in college football. Um, I'm going to rattle off some names for you. Julian Sand, Dante Moore, Malachi Nelson, Austin Mack. Quinn Ewers, those are all top 250 players. Um, those were all quarterbacks who entered the transfer portal within 12 months of enrolling at their initial program. Um, some of those football players obviously had some coaching, uh, you know, changes that impacted that, that decision. But nonetheless, this has become, okay, through the transfer portal and through NIL and through all the things with the world of college football nowadays with coaching changes included, this has become an extremely impatient position so much so that we have things going on where like I could list Dylan Gabriel in this list of quarterbacks who spent less than 12 months at a particular power five program right and why is Dylan Gabriel on this list well he spent three years at UCF two of those years I believe starting and then I think he spent one year behind McKenzie Milton before McKenzie mm -hmm. Milton snapped his leg in half yes. um and then you know transferred to Oklahoma and he gets pushed out of Oklahoma despite being at one point in the Heisman contention I think after beating Texas right gets pushed out of Oklahoma because they're so worried about Jackson Arnold, the next guy, matching or, or fitting this description of another highly talented football player who was potentially maybe a little too impatient to stick it out and stick around, right? Um, so when you do see players, or particularly at the quarterback position, when you do see players that stick around and are patient, please, as college football fans listening to this today, please be appreciative of those football players because they are very, very rare, right? When you find football players that are patient and have waited their time to become a starter, I would often argue that you should probably bet on those players. Nine times out of 10, those guys actually go on to have, you know, a relative amount of success, right? You look at Carson Beck this last year, one of the more notorious examples of a football player who waited his time, right? You look at Mac Jones at Alabama. It hasn't panned out in the NFL, but you look at Mac Jones's time at Alabama, waited his time and finished, I think, third in the Heisman after one year of starting him and went on to become a first-round draft pick. Most of these examples of those who stick around, they end up paying off. And that brings us to our next guy, which was Arch Manning. When, Quinn, when, when Arch Manning committed and signed and enrolled at the University of Texas, I would imagine the plan or at least the calendar looked like, hey, we're going to sit for a year. Quinn Ewers is going to start his second year at Texas with Steve Sarkeesian, and then he's going to go on to the NFL. That was probably the presumptions, or at least that was everyone on the outside uh, looking in's presumptions of this room. Hey, it looks like they're going to have another year of Quinn, get a year for Arch Manning to kind of assimilate himself from, uh, you know, private school, Louisiana, New Orleans football to, to SEC football come 2025. Well, now we look at the calendar, we look at the, the situation and the, the nature of events at Texas, and you have a player like Arch Manning now looking at his second year of sitting on the bench. And by all accounts, by anybody I trust and any reporting that I trust, 
it didn't sound like there was any wavering this this offseason from the Manning camp and the Manning household with regards of whether or not, you know, they were going to stick it out down there in Austin. All right. And I think there's a lot of rules or a lot of things that play here as to why Texas is able to keep a football player like this that you would imagine wants to get onto the field. Uh, a lot of people will rush to NIL being an impactful uh, decision making here. And, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I think the number one contributing factor to Arch Manning staying at Texas, gentlemen, is the fact that I don't think this camp and this Manning family and this Manning foundation wants to be a part of the circus anymore. I think they had plenty of the taste of the circus coming out during his original recruitment process. I think they got a taste of what being the most coveted football player in America feels like. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think they necessarily loved it. I don't think they necessarily love Cameron Cruz being at every high school football practice. I don't think they necessarily love having to, you know, hey, hey, coach, can we stop doing interviews? You know, high school football coach, can we stop talking about Arch? I don't think they necessarily loved all of the – the mechanisms that come with the machine around being the number one and, again, most coveted football player available. So I think that was the major reason behind uh, sticking these things out at Texas. But, again, I think you have to tip your cap to Arch and the and the, the Manning family for being patient here, knowing the talent that they believe that he has and that everyone assumes that he has. And we saw a little taste of it this year. It, is, it seems like he's going to be the guy that we believe he was uh, you know sold and, and, and marketed to be coming out of high school. However, I think this is the biggest point about this discussion, right? Him sticking it out, him not going to the portal, him being patient, Malik Murphy being the one that actually gets bumped out, right, in that room. I think you have to be honest about the the idea that Arch Manning is now going to be the starting quarterback at Texas, not only for 2025, but you would presume 2026 as well. Um, because I don't think they're going to allow this guy to enter the NFL draft without multiple years of starting experience because of the what they know about that 25 start threshold, right? What what it means for your not necessarily guarantees, but your ability and your your statistical uh, chances to be a success story in the NFL drastically improve upon multiple years of starting in college football. Um, so I, I think that's what this means. I think you're going to get Arch Manning for two years. And ultimately, in, in the city of Austin, you're going to be riding the Arch Manning wave for four full years of college football. And I don't think anybody going into this situation thought that that was going to be the case. Uh, we'll get the boys' thoughts on that whole situation out in Texas here in just a second. But I want to welcome you guys into tonight's show. We do indeed have a loaded one for you guys. Top five quarterbacks available in this year's NFL draft. I'm going to go through my rankings. The boys are going to pick it apart. There's some odds coming out about a, a, a power five football coach and these are actually gambleable odds in his state where he is coaching. So it's pretty miraculous. It's pretty uh, uh, odd. It's pretty odd, if you will, to be seeing something like this. So we're going to talk about that tonight. We have debuted tier talk. All right. I don't know if anybody's doing the tiers. We be, I see power rankings everywhere in college football opinion given. We do tier talks around here. We're going to break out the ACC edition of tier talk tonight. And we're going to give them three. Biggest transfers, uh, top three transfers, in our opinion, that have made moves this offseason and their impacts on their new team. And the college football playoff has finally announced their move, their final move to the 12-team playoff. Not final move. I'm sure there will be some uh, reiterations of this 12-team playoff eventually. Um, but they finally gave us the, the kind of lay of the land of what the 12-team playoff is going to look like starting this college football season. But first, 
I want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at Prize Picks. If you haven't already, please run over to PrizePicks.com today and sign up using promo code Brooks. You will get a hundred percent deposit match. What does that mean? You put up to a hundred dollars, you will get matched instantly with a hundred dollars in your account over there. That's what it means. Deposit match. Whatever you deposit. They fit in a match as long as you use that promo code Brooks. So run over to Prize Picks today. Get in on the action. There's some good stuff going on over there. Boys, welcome in. What do you think about the the patience being shown by the Manning camp? And I want to propose this question to you guys and the chat. Does something like this, does the patience like this exist if NIL does not exist? Hmm. I, the patience honestly doesn't shock me too much because we saw patience with his recruitment in high school. This mm-hmm. was a guy that – Hand selected Texas, and it took time for that decision to be made. There wasn't any, it never seemed like there was any wavering of or committing to a school and then decommitting or any of that. It was, we're going to play out this entire process, make sure that we end up at the school that we want to, make sure that Arch ends up with the coach that he specifically wants. And once he was with Texas, it was locked down and loaded, and that's where he ended up. So the patience and continuing to wait on that doesn't necessarily surprise me. As far as, and again, with the NIL stuff too. Honestly, I feel like maybe it does exist for Arch Manning in this scenario because I feel like even when you like when Peyton or Eli talks about this, they mention Sark's name into this of like yeah. this is who he wanted to come play with. So I would like to think that in a world without NIL that Arch would wait it out and continue to wait it out because this is who he wanted to play for. I don't think patience like this exist if the name Manning isn't on mm. the back of his jersey mm. because Arch Manning is one of the few players that has that luxury where he can say, you know what, I don't need to play freshman year sophomore year I can wait till my junior year because I mean I'm arch freaking Manning the yeah. media's gonna follow me wherever I go I mean there's that viral picture of Quinn Ewers having three reporters around him and meanwhile arch is swamped at media days because yeah. even though he's the backup quarterback just because the name arch Manning has that much draw so I think the fact that arch has that much draw allows for him to maybe say you know what I don't need to be in the spotlight right now because even though I'm not playing or starting the spotlight still follows me around so I think that helps a lot in that decision I don't think every quarterback Actually, I think most quarterbacks won't have this type of luxury. Are you of the same belief that I am that this kind of guarantees we're going to get basically four years of Arch Manning at Texas? Yeah. It kind of seems like that's how every quarterback feels at this point. It's yeah. like it's there's no more this thing of you go start 12 games and you go to the NFL. It I, doesn't seem like people feel that way anymore. I think anymore. Trey Lance ruined that for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think – Trubisky did as well. Yeah, and I think Mac you're Jones all, is currently doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think guys like Carson Beck and things like that, when the this draft comes around, are really going to hammer it home where – you had a guy that could have gone in the draft this year, might have been a day three pick, where Carson Beck has a real, real legitimate chance of being the first player taken next I mean, year. So. Quinn Ewers can even be thrown in this conversation a little bit because we haven't seen a complete full yeah, season he's, of he's him. Like 20 starts. Yeah, so I think he can even be thrown into that realm. Does that – I think that injury against Alabama completely changed the trajectory of this mm. Texas room, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? If he doesn't get hurt, he plays all of 2022 and all of 2023 – and throws for 3,500 yards in both seasons, he's probably in the NFL draft this year, I would imagine. I would think so, too. So, yeah, you can can thank your lucky stars uh, out there in Austin that, you know, Quinn Ewers got hurt for for that one year. That's a good hypothetical. Would you trade that game? If you're a Texas fan? If you knew what was coming after. Yeah, because they weren't ready. They, they weren't ready yet in terms of, like, they, they were starting two freshman offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the defensive line hadn't really fully blossomed into what they became this year. That 2022 roster, even with Quinn Ewers healthy, I think they're still maybe like 10-3, and three, yeah. maybe like 9-4, and four, and, and that's not what you want. You know what I mean? You're, they're going to have two years now in a row where they're, you know, a top-five program you know, wire to wire, it feels. For sure. So you got McCoy's injury that cost you a national title, but Quinn Ewer's injury yeah. got you another season of him. Got you a deeper quarterback room for a longer extended period of time. Yeah. So that's good news for them. Um, all right, so 
Uh, college football playoff announced their final format today. I don't know about you guys, because I, I know my timeline was confused. Yeah. Oh. The reporting on this has been – they're, they're great reporters, all of them. But why – I didn't go to J, J school. I didn't. But I don't know how they teach y'all. But I, I was taught as a writer and as someone who explains things – you should assume that everyone has zero knowledge. Yes. Okay, you should not talk over their head. I saw someone using a term called A5 today. What the fuck is an A5? I guess he meant automatic bids for five power fives previously, and now we're in an A4 system. But just the reporting on this in general from top to bottom, how they worded these r- reports today were hella confusing because everyone was like, does that still include the pack 2 Oh, no, you had to actually read the fine print to find out that basically what happened today was they announced that they're going to take the highest five-ranked conference champions, which leaves a little bit of leeway for discussion, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. But it basically guarantees if you win a Power 4 conference now, you not only get a top four bid, but you get the buy, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. um, as well. But here's my question, because th- basically that is the gist of what happened today. Top five ranked conference winners with a top four getting a buy, and then the rest of the top 12 uh, per the CFP rankings. So my question, because of the wording, right? The wording is highest ranked conference champions. It did not say top four conference champions from the power four and a group of five highest ranked team which is what it was right what it was is hey Tulane finished 12 and 1 they're the highest ranked you know group of five team let's throw them in so my question now becomes becomes because of this wording let's say Liberty goes 13 and 0 this year right or 12 and 0 and they lose their conference championship to a 10 and 2 Troy team or whatever is Troy now getting into a college football playoff at the fifth overall seed at 10 and 2 out of a non power 5 or non power 4 traditional powerhouse conference because of this wording. Yeah. That's I what mean, it sounds it, like. If if Troy's the highest ranked at that point. Isn't that a shit system? <clears throat> I yes. If For that specific. To, if we wanted to hand a participation trophy to the group of 5, why not just do it like it was where we take the highest ranked group of 5 team? Yeah, it definitely puts you at risk of there might be a scenario where one time you get an 8 and 4 group of 5 team yeah, that just what, happened to play really well that one day. Wasn't it last year where we just didn't it was the year before not this past season that just concluded but the year before didn't we have no group of 5 representative at all in like the top 25? Wasn't there just like no good group of 5 team? Yeah, I think it was right. this They're year. all like 9 and 4. This year the best team was Liberty. Mm-hmm. They finished with a one loss record, I believe. And it, or they were undefeated. They were got, undefeated. Got, got drubbed up by Oregon. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I just – if we're going to give participation trophies out, why not make sure we give the best, best team an opportunity to do it? This this wording of conf- highest-ranked conference champion is very weird to me. I think it's because they're, one, trying to protect the sanctity and the value of the conference championship. Because, I mean, if Liberty goes out and loses that game and there's no punishment for it, I mean – why are you playing the games in the first place? Which is kind of what the argument was in the SEC championship this year when Georgia got left out or the ACC championship. So I think that's kind of what the committee is trying to protect now where it's there's that incentive to win your conference, especially if you're a group of five where that's pretty much the only way you're getting in. So the the debate on this and the, the, the conference that had to kind of plead their case to remain it at a what they call, I guess, an A, A, A6, according to reporting, um, to keep it at this automatic Power 5 bid was the Pac-12, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. They had to go in there and state their case that they still deserve an automatic bid um, for this college football playoff. And what was interesting is they put up a mighty case, apparently, 
and then they folded in on that their own case today and were promised a $6 million incentive. Basically, they're going to get college football pay anyways, is from my understanding of it, just to shut up and leave. <laughs> All right. So that was interesting. It was like a, hey, don't look at this ear tab over here. Uh, they're getting $12 million over the next two years, you know, $6 million a piece, basically, to to go away peacefully on, on this discussion. So Damn. very, very interesting. Interesting. But I, I don't like the idea of leaving ourselves open to, you know, what I'm talking about, which is, oh, shit, we got a 10-2 Big Sky or a 10-2, uh, what is it, the the MAC? We got a 10-2 mm-hmm. MAC team coming out here and playing with a five overall seed in the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. That, that, to me, is going to rub me a little wrong. I feel like that's been everybody's biggest gripe with the expansion is just the fact that we're going to automatically give a group of five team a bid <laughs> into this college football playoff. And the, the whole conversation, even before, even when it was four, the whole conversation about letting in one of these group of five teams is, well, if they deserve it, like yeah. when Cincinnati was getting into top four, is like they deserve it at that point to be a top four team, get your crack at it. And let's be honest, there was no other alternative yeah. option. Exactly. Year, and right? in that scenario, it fit to put in a Cincinnati, Correct. and we know what the result was, and we know what Alabama did to them. But, yeah, just because we're going to 12 doesn't mean that we all of a sudden have to include them into this and automatically give them a spot in this. Think about this. Not only does that situation present itself, but in that case where 10-2 and two conference champ Troy just knocked off an undefeated group of five and they get a, a five seed, they're getting a home game. <laughs> they're getting a home game. Like, we're uh, going to be playing – yeah, they're going to get the fifth seed. Well, no, I think that they they would they would be placing the five through twelve. Oh, and they would, they would have them. to get ranked. So they'll probably they be in twelve. Automatic bid. You get yes. your auto bid. You you're automatically you're in. in. But I don't think you get. I don't think it. But they're goes, not top five. So I don't think the top 12. five is the five yes. conference champion. Okay, so how this will it's, it's, this is even worse. How this will end up working, right? Is they'll probably be ranked like twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth in the real rankings, mm-hmm. and then they'll get bumped to twelve. Yep. Yeah. And whoever is legitimately the twelfth best team gets to go sit their ass at home. So really, exactly. you don't want to be in the 12 spot ever. Ever. Never. You, you never, never want, want to be sitting 12. at 12. The problem that the committee's doing right now is it's trying to juggle too many things. It, it, it's got... We Fairness want, needs to get out of here. Yeah, well, we want, yeah. We, want, we want to give the group of five a chance. We want to remain objective in the ways that we select these teams. We also want to value conference championships, which yeah. is why we have the... Auto bids for winning your conference championships, which is why we have auto bids for a group of five teams that allow them to get in, and then the other seven are up to, or yeah, other seven are up to our subjective pick. Why? And the problem is, one of those three categories is going to come back and bite you in the ass every time. We trusted these thirteen goofballs with like four, like narrow it down to four, but yet we can't trust them to decipher whether or not a, a group of five team deserves to be one of the best twelve teams. We, we, we asked them to rank these teams objectively every single every single week starting in, what, mid, mid-October? About that, yeah. And we do not trust them to decipher whether or not Cincinnati is a top-12 team in 2020 or whether or not, uh, you know, you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I don't understand how we, we, we task them with that, but yet we have, to, we have to say, oh, by the way, just check this box every year, give it to a group of five, just participation trophy. Just weird. Yeah, and the th- the thing is too, like it's it, all it's going to take is for it to happen one time where the group of five team that gets in upsets number five or whoever it is, and then it's going to turn in this whole conversation of we'll see. This is exactly why we want to give them an automatic bid and it's here to stay. But it, I just don't. Football doesn't work the same way that college basketball does. You know, like it's not as level of a playing field. 
Don't you think they kind of retroactively rewarded Cincinnati in 2021 for playing 2020's version of Georgia close in the Peach Bowl? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact right? – it's the fact – People were like, oh, shit, they took – It was going – They did, damn near took them to overtime. It was going undefeated two years in a row in yeah. that as and well. And that. Like, we have a close oh. football game against a, a team that happen. we thought was a top five program yes. in 2020. So, I think that was a, a major contention. It wasn't just they deserved it in 2021. It was the embodiment of the work for yes. Luke Fickle and Cincy that got yeah. them in there. And I think, honestly, I think, like, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with them having proved two years in a row that they're deserving. And they went and knocked one or almost knocked one of these teams off in a bowl game. And then they returned the same version or a better version of that football team. And now we know. We didn't think we know. Now we know for a fact they're a competing team. And granted, it was a 30-point game in that college football playoff game against Alabama. But – the next year, but they still just quote unquote deserve to be there. Yeah, I mean, like if you got a Boise State that was Boise State in the early 2010s, where they were a ranked team, they were competitive, and they were actually knocking off Power Five teams or whatnot. Then that's again, that's fine if you want to put them in the playoff. They deserve it at that point. But I, yeah, the whole G5 automatic bid, I've never been a fan of. It's not- I, yeah, the the conference champ thing's real weird to me. Yeah, highest ranked conference champ team. It's it's I mean that's the problem with the college football format where in divisions like the NFL you don't have a division championship. Yeah. I mean you have a pseudo division championship where the two highest teams are playing each other in week 16, but you don't have an actual game where their championship game is played. Yeah. And that's the problem because how much value do you put in the championship game? Do you mm. put so much value that it automatically puts you in the playoff or do you put not enough value to where we're looking around going, "Okay, why the hell are we playing this game for?" And I think there's a very thin line that you have to walk in. It seems like you can't get it right ever. Yeah. Ask Florida State last year. I just think the right way to go about it is to just rank the 12 best teams, give them to me, and let's play ball. Like, the, the idea that we're tying this to conferences that won't even tie themselves to themselves is, is, is just mm-hmm. stupid to me. Like, we can't, get, we can't get conferences to settle in on what they're going to be. Yeah, I mean, on the contrary, I think the only good thing about this is does this type of format keep conferences like the ACC and Big 12 afloat? Yeah, until the Big 10 and the SEC put a middle finger up to everybody and say, we're just going to go create our own Super League. Which, again, I don't know if it's going to happen, but at that point you would think they like the number's like 34 right now. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they would go grab like the next six best teams, Florida State, Notre Dame, Clemson. Well, it already sounds like that some of those teams are hunting around. Yeah, and get but, to 40. Yeah, like my guess is my my only like re- rationale behind this is like the Pac-12 kind of collapsed because one the revenue split was dog shit and two there were four playoff teams and there was always Pac-12 was always the ugly duckling of the five conferences Correct. where now it's basically you have four conferences and five conference champions. Well, I mean, if you're a, if you're like a, I don't know, a Duke or a Syracuse, why would you want to go to the SEC mm-hmm. or, or a different conference where you might get a more revenue split, but your chances of making the playoff are so much slimmer? Because, I mean, the best, the best avenue for you if you're a Duke is being a top 25 team that ends up winning the ACC one year. I still think the best answer to all of these issues – and I know no one – again, it's – this guy sounded like the homer for the incident. But Charlie Baker's $6 million league makes more and more sense every time I think about it. Every time people try to do all this differentiation and try to figure out, oh, how are we going to figure it all out? Well, separate the revenue sport. Yeah. Just say, okay, this revenue sport now has a salary, and the salary is $6 million a year. And if you can't afford that, then you don't play in this subdivision. And that would not – I mean, based off the, the data, it's going to be about 50 to 60 teams. 
There's your Super League right mm -hmm. there. And now we can pay all these guys. Now we can stipulate it. Now we can deem them employees. Now we can actually do regulation. like all. And, again, just because it came from Charlie Baker's mouth, everybody's like, oh, idiot, stupid. Yeah. And most people don't even know about that. Like people who've tuned in every single night to this network know what I'm talking about. But the random passerby just walked in and goes, what? Who's First of all, who's Charlie Baker? I thought it was this Mark Emmerich guy that everybody hated. Who's this Charlie Baker and where did this come from? Yeah, mm -hmm. he's trying. No one wants to listen. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the only snag in that is, yeah, the $6 million revenue thing is a great idea and having them all as employees, but how are you going to stop under the table shady deals? Because, I mean, five years ago we were in a league where you couldn't even pay them at all, Yeah, and that was, was still, still happening. happening. So, I, like, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a, a perfect answer for it. Guys police themselves, I promise you. Like, they're trying to police themselves now by turning guys in. Is yeah, what it sounds there's like. definitely a lot of dry snitching. There, yeah, there's a lot of dry snitching going on right now. But um, in under the old system, if you drove too fast, they, they, would, they would turn you in. Right. It's the reason why schools like Ole Miss got popped. It was the reason why SMU got the death penalty that they got. Um, you can't be out here doing reckless shit under the coaches policing themselves model. Um, but when the NIL stuff opened up, it was like, well, we can't police ourselves because now there really are no rules, or at least his rules over there say he can do that. So well, what do I have to bitch about other mm -hmm. than I need some new reg regulations? So it's a, I compared it to this yesterday when I was on 680, the fan doing a hit. I, I joined in as they were doing all this, uh, how's the college football landscape discussion going to be? And I basically compared it to watching a cat with a ball of yarn that's all cut up in like little three inch pieces, right? So you see this cat playing with this ball of yarn and he takes his paws and he grabs one thread that's sticking out and he pulls it. And then another one pops out on the other side of the ball. And then he's like, ooh, I'm gonna pull this one. And then he's just sitting there pulling threads off this ball. And now it's just, that that's what the discussion is. Every time we think we can solve one thing, this other problem pops right out. We're yep. like, ooh, let's pull that one. And it's just, man, it's a mess um, as, as you can imagine, because really, really smart people can't figure it out. So there's that. Now, this was crazy. Y'all sent this to the show chat today. Um, and these are bet these are legitimately bettable odds on Colorado Bet Online. Is that what it is? Yeah, some form of Colorado yeah, bet, bet AG. Bet Colorado, yeah. Bet Colorado. You can bet on where Deion Sanders is going to coach next season. And I, I I sit here with one, two, three, four, five, six different schools with odds all the way up to plus eighteen hundred. And Colorado is not on the list. They're even no. lower. Yeah, no. Um, this these odds are set for where Deion Sanders will be coaching next year. I haven't seen the odds. So what what are they? All right, so Florida plus 600 – or excuse me, Florida State plus 600, Florida plus 1,000, Arkansas plus 1,000, Auburn plus 1,200, Miami plus 1,750, USC plus 1,750. I'll stop writing. And then other is Auburn. 120. Other is 120. Well, Auburn. Now, I, I think yeah, that this Auburn is specifically saying just where he'll coach next, but we all assume – Oh, that, just next. Yeah. yeah, but we all kind of assume that it's going to happen next season. That's kind of the um, feel that everybody gets, which is why – I think it's interesting some of the schools that are on here, like Florida, we can kind of understand. Florida State, I mean, that one doesn't make any he sense. He burnt that bridge to the ground. And, well, not, not only happening. that, like Mike Norvell doesn't seem like he's going to be going anywhere yeah. anytime soon. Um, Arkansas, you can kind of understand. Auburn, not really one I'm following along with. And then, I can understand Auburn or Arkansas from an opening standpoint, but yeah. Dion in Arkansas? No thanks. <laughs> no I thanks. Think so. they'll, you know what they'll do? They'll hire Barry Odom. You watch. Mm -hmm. If they, if they fire Sam that. Pittman, they'll hire Barry Odom. I, have, I don't know if we've ever seen this before, though, where you, before a coach is even 
like, announced that he's going anywhere. Yeah, we're, that, like, we're out here putting odds. We're already on. putting odds on where he's going to be coaching next. That's got to be a first. I got a good gamble here. What's that? Miami at plus seventeen fifty. Mario Cristobal seven and five last year. I think it was a couple of ugly ass losses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not a lot of Mo. Uncle Mo not not showing a lot of love down there in Miami. Uh, I think ranked twenty fourth right now in the preseason a AP top twenty five. Um, if Mario is tossed to the wolves now, this will be his third year of a five year contract. I think he signed when he came, or did he sign one of them t eighty over ten deals? I don't I think don't so. Know. I think Cristobal might have got a really long contract there, but check that out for me. But whatever the buyout is on that, I'm sure Miami could eat it, it if 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 Dion wanted to come out to Miami. And you talking about being able to stick it to Florida State. Oh, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, man. You'd be all over it. I think that's why Florida's so high ranked on this on this odds list because they, they, they could imagine him trying to stick it. What's up? 80 million over 10 years. Wow. Yeah, so he so. did get 80 over 10. You're right. I didn't think um, so. Man, <laughs> that's a – Having to go from that That's a lot of money for a director of player personnel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Mario Jeez. Cristobal is like the greatest – recruiter in the southeast or Jeez. one of them he's like top 10 but man is he bad at game management <laughs> man is he bad you don't like that one Dire director of player person no it's funny recruiter but, like, but are we are we are we putting like honestly you send it home today miami fan where is mario cristobal in the top 10 coaches ranks in college football way down yeah. way down but he recruits or at least has in in years past hmm I, th that would suck to have to go from paying Mario Cristobal that money or whatever the buyout would be, and then now you got to fit the price tag of someone like Deion Sanders to come mm. coach your program. Ouch. But you know what? Hard Rock Stadium we filled out for the first time ever. Yeah. That's for dang sure. For That's a Miami true. Hurricanes game, Facts. it would absolutely be packed out for the first time ever. I mean, let's be honest. I think Colorado took the quote-unquote gamble on hiring prime for, the, for that right Shoot. there. Their football program got in, in the seats. Yeah, they've got advancements on their football program for the years now, regardless of if Dion's name is attached to it or not. Mm -hmm. The chat brings up a good point here. Jerry Jones is obviously a massive booster for Arkansas. Played there. Um, Dion and Jerry have a, a pre-existing relationship. Um, still does commercials with with Jerry. I'm pretty sure. Huh. Um, I think I saw one recently of those two. Is he um, an Aflac again? I don't care. <laughs> but anyways. Um, I, I like the the Miami pick, USC. Not not a terrible, you know, look there. I don't uh, know if he's going out to LA though. Is it crazy that I think USC is like a, the like peak Deion Sanders job? Yeah, I think because I mean that's crazy. that's I think, I think Deion Sanders in Florida is a scary proposition in my opinion. For Deion for, Sanders coaching in the state of Florida is a scary proposition absolutely. for everybody that recruits in that state. Okay, everyone that recruits in that state, which is every predominant program. That's a scary proposition. Yes. Yeah, regardless of what Florida program it is. Yeah. yeah. Any of the power fives down there, it's mm -hmm. all right, now we got a we got a guy, we gotta go like fight. Yes. We're gonna have to fight and fight dirty. We're gonna have to fight dirty against that guy. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because um, they they out here throwing it around at Colorado. You know? Mm -hmm. So he he's got access to funds wherever he goes. Yes, he does. So are we good with the Dion talk? Good. All right, let's go on to our tier talk. We've got ACC up here. Now, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, um, we believe there are four tiers in college football, and I have really shortened this down. Um, tier one can do it yearly. Tier two 
just can do it. Like, we, we, we think it happens. Tier three is the cam tier. Like, you just got to buy one great player uh, and, and figure out how that guy's going to be the greatest singular season performer of all time, and then maybe he can carry you to a title. And then tier four is just you can't. You just can't do it. We don't believe you could ever win one. Um, so there's that. All right, so the ACC. I, I believe that the ACC, here's my take on this. I believe since Clemson has become the predominant or became the predominant program in this conference, I firmly believe this is a conference that only allows one tier one football team at a time. Really? When was the last time the ACC no, had I, two teams competing for a national title? No, I agree with you. Because when Florida State was doing it under Jimbo at the end of uh, the, the Bowden regime down there, Clemson wasn't this. No. Clemson hadn't become this. The moment Clemson became this, the rest of the ACC ceased to exist. At one year, I think two years in a row, Clemson was playing Wake Forest for an ACC championship game. Like, that's not, that's not it. So, I, I am of the belief that when we have these conversations about this conference moving forward, there's only going to be one team. And there is one team in this uh, biannual or annual contention right now, in my opinion, and it's Florida State. They have kind of cemented themselves as the one team – that year in, year out, you think has a chance to at least run that conference, which will ultimately put them in the discussion for running college football. Wow. I agree. I, 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 oh, geez. What? You, I put Clemson up there. You, you, you still put Clemson, think Clemson in tier has one? a chance every year? I, y yes, I do think that they have a chance every year because I have no, I have no idea what the ACC is going to look like each and every year. But I know that Clemson and Dabo Sweeney are at least somewhere going to be up, up at the top of that conference each and every year. Like we have, like I don't, I don't think anybody can sit here with absolute confidence and say FSU going to be absolutely elite this year. We know that you have DJU. That's about where the list stops. So yeah. I don't know. I can't sit here with confidence to keep saying that FSU and Cle I have FSU and Clemson both at the top of my list, but that's just because I have the most confidence in those two teams in that conference being able to run the table against anybody else in that conference. I will say this. If you take either of those two teams and you throw them in the SEC or the Big Ten, they're not in Tier 1. Yes. Can Agreed. I, I want to give a spoiler alert. What's up? I don't have Clemson in Tier 2 either. Oh, Lord. You can't. That's uh, dirty. Bro, he was killing Dabo midseason last year. That's dude. a little dirty. Yeah, he was out here. He was think, out here bro, Dabo. think about it. Your two national championship seasons, you had generational quarterback talent. They also had fair. generational defenses, though. That's fine. I mean, you took away – take they had generational defenses in years after. Take away Trevor Lawrence. Take away Deshaun Watson. Clemson football has not done anything of, of – national championship yeah. caliber but, but that, does like, he not he did it twice does he not get credit for the opportunity to potentially do it a third time you know what i mean like if he it gets, wasn't like it one shot at it was, this is, we're not talking about ed orgeron yeah but if he if he gets another high quality high caliber heisman like greatest quarterback we've seen of our time quarterback i mean trevor lawrence was tabbed as the greatest prospect of all time deshaun watson was this guy is the best college quarterback we've seen in 10 years when he was in the league when like, he was playing so the, i mean uh, the Cam Newton tier to me, though, is like that dude had to literally put the team on his yeah. back. There were really good football players like, all around that Clemson well, that's roster. That's true. Let me ask you this, Christian. Do you foresee a year anywhere in the next five years where Clemson doesn't have a singular NFL player drafted? No. Then they're not in tier three. Because that's what tier three is. Tier three is Cam Newton, Nick Fraley going to flame out, and then you can't name me a single player on those Auburn teams. You can't. Unless you were an Auburn fan at the time or, or a college football savant, then you might get me Joshua Dyer. You might. You mean Michael Dyer. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> See what I mean? 
Um, you might be able to get me that, or maybe an Ontario McCaleb, because you, you you saw him run a jet sweep one time. But that's about it. Okay, so th that's tier three. But I, I don't think Clemson's ever in that tier. Clemson will always have at least one or two, uh, you know, top three drafty valves. That does at least year. make me think that they're closer to tier two maybe than they are for tier one now. Correct. So maybe I was a little overstepping to just say that they're annual contenders. I mean, I – you can't recruit like they've recruited and be yeah, an annual fair. contender. I Absolutely. Don't, I, don't, I don't believe. Fair. Um, I think I think their their astronomical defensive numbers the last couple of years have been because of what they did on the recruiting circuits in 2018 and 19. Yep. And they ain't done nothing like that since then in, t in terms of uh, stacking. Well, I'm fine with just leaving it at FSU then. All right, FSU Tier 1. Now, Tier 2, these are teams that can – you could see them actually winning a title. I have three teams here. I have Clemson, Louisville, and Miami. Just because of the sleeping giant that Miami is. Yeah, I I wanted to put UNC in this category. I did too. I had a different. I wanted to. UN, but I had a always, different NC school. They're always NC kind of state. I had an NC State in here. Hmm. NC State has continually been ranked. Make the case. Is that the case? I mean, they've. I mean, they've been one of the. They've over the past years, they've shown consistency to at least be a top twenty-five program. And so, like it to me, like if I look at the ACC and I look at the list of teams, and this was hard for me to rank all these schools in these categories. NC State was just one of those pro programs where, like, if you told me that eventually they put all the pieces together, like they've they've had good defenses, they finally got their guy at quarterback, then it wouldn't necessarily shock me if they were to go on and maybe win a national title. Did you? Have, it's close, so it's super close. Did you have Louisville in this tier, tier two? I did. I had Louisville in this tier as well. I don't think I did. No, I have Louisville here. Okay, I'm sorry. I have four teams. Louisville's in this tier. I was going to say because I think I think Louisville with what they did last year and the fact that you have a 12 team. Yeah, playoff no, Clemson, issue. Louisville, Miami. Those okay. are my three teams. I, I forgot if you said Louisville or not. So yeah, I think Louisville's definitely one of the tier two teams. NC State was a final edition, just where I was like, I don't hate. I was it. just, I don't hate it either. I was just looking at it. When they lose, they lose tight games. I think they had one double-digit loss this year, and they lost four games. Two, they had two double-digit losses. They got dubbed up by Notre Dame and Duke. Outside of that, the other losses were tight. They lost by nine to Kansas State, and they lost by uh, three to Louisville. So yeah, I'm I'm with you in the sense that like, if one one year NC State instead of going nine and four went twelve and one. And ended up in a college football playoff. Like I'm with you. It yeah. could it could happen. Now I could not see SMU doing that unless they just balled all that Fort Worth Dallas money into one singular player, which makes them a tier three program. So, which I think is where the majority of this conference lies. Yes. I have SMU, Duke, Boston College, Georgia Tech, both the Virginia schools, Pitt, Syracuse. I put NC State and North Carolina in this division. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of teams that. I feel like are like a superman away from being maybe the 11th best team in the country. And then who knows what happens from there. But it, it it's the array of ACC teams is very interesting because it's, there's so many fringe teams where it's like, do you absolutely have no shot or mm -hmm. are you just kind of one great player yeah. away? Like, I mean, Boston college, like I don't think they're ever going to have a shot, but like a, a team, like I was borderline putting them tier four. I think I, I was too, but then I was like, you know what? And this is a while ago, so I don't even know if you can apply it anymore. But when they had Matt Ryan, they were a good football team. And so, and Matt Ryan wasn't like this do it all college football, take over the football game athlete. 
So I thought, you know what, maybe in today's world, maybe there is a scenario where Boston College does get a Cam Newton mm-hmm. and they could go on a national title run, p- potentially. That 2007 season was weird, too. <laughs> yeah, it was. So, um, but no, I, I think I think the issue I run into is there's so many programs where it's like that team kind of hangs around the top 25, but I never really can see them being yeah. a top 12 team. Like yeah. I feel like Pitt is, if they're good, they're always in that – 15 to 25 range if Virginia Tech's good it's always in 15 to 25 if if Georgia Tech I mean Georgia Tech over the last 10 years if they're having good seasons they're a top 25 team none of those teams are in the top 12 for me so it doesn't really strike me as and then maybe they need that one additional player to put them over the edge but Mm. I didn't even have SMU in my Cam Newton tier I had Mm. them and never never gonna happen Never gonna you don't happen. think there's uh, five years from now there's a situation where SMU has some of the nicest facilities in the country? Maybe, but maybe. Actually, this isn't going to happen because I, I just remembered they deferred all their conference money. Do y'all remember this? Uh-uh. They got into the ACC oh, on promise yeah. that they weren't going to take any TV revenue split. So they're not getting paid to be in the oh. conference. They're being here for free. Yeah. Never going to happen. So, But yeah. they, they did this knowing that they have Dallas-Fort Worth money. Yeah. So there is – I think there's – we know this now. With unregulated NIL, they're in the state of Texas. They can pretty much do whatever they want. If they banded together $13 million worth of endowment for one singular recruiting class or one singular transfer class, like, I don't think it's out of the, or the ordinary. Mm. We're talking about oil money, boys. We're talking about a different level of shit right here. Okay? I uh, guess. What's, I mean, let's be honest. Now that they are a Power 5 member school, Hear mm-hmm. me out. Five years from now, what 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 stops SMU from being Texas A and M? Um, tradition, passion, and you need a like, so historical context that has now been drastically changed due to NIL and conference. But you also NIL. need was, you also need a generational talent to jumpstart that, yeah, like, like a Johnny Manziel. Like if you, if, like you take away Johnny football, Texas A and M is not where it is today. So they're a Cam Newton away. They're a tier three away from something. Yeah, like this but they would have to pay a Cam Newton guy astronomical money. Whereas like Johnny Manziel made astronomical amounts of money after he the fact. And I'm I'm telling you. I think that's possible at SMU. I just feel like that now. Have you seen that campus? I don't think. It, I don't do think it's. Much, do you know how much money it costs to go there? Yeah, it's a shit ton. It's a shit ton. I don't think it's impossible. My problem is like if just got it like that, huh? If you can convince and if you can convince me that SMU can get a Cam Newton like player, what's stop? And this was the argument I had a while ago. What's stopping any college football program from doing the same thing? Uh, Vandy's not located in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, that's the difference to me. Um. So I, I that that could be the hangup, but I don't think the rest of these are. Um, it, where are you at on Georgia Tech? They're at Camden tier, tier three. Okay, I I would put those two in five years from now. Those two schools are going to be on level playing. Tier three could sneak into tier two if they continue to improve. Syracuse, where'd y'all put them? Camden. Okay, um, both Virginia schools. Where'd y'all put them? I had only Virginia Tech, Cam Newton tier. You know, yeah. I, I thought about making Virginia a tier four team just because of the academic structures there. They are it's a tier too four damn team. Hard to get in. They're a tier school. four team to me. All right, so tier four, I have Stanford, Cal. We just moved Virginia in there, and I have Wake in there as well. In the never. In the never. Mm. The hangup I have on Stanford is they were at one point in time a top five program in the yep. country. I mean, like with Andrew Luck, Christian McCaffrey, Bryce Petty, but. And Again, that was 15 years ago. I will say those, those, program, or those years of Stanford football were – I would give them the – we call them the luck years and the McCaffrey years. 
those were separated by about five seasons mm -hmm. and two different coaches. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there is a track record here. I just – David Shaw has alluded to this. He left that job for a reason. The idea that Stanford brass is going to be out here paying for college football athletes – Probably is, not. – is beyond their measure. They just don't think about it. It's just not ever going to happen, despite the fact that that is a program that has astronomical amount of money. Yeah, they have ridiculous amount of money out there, um, but they will never, ever, ever spend it on athletes. I don't think. Plus, if like, and I would, I would say this too: if you're good enough to go play at Stanford and you're smart enough to go play at Stanford, why not just go play at Duke and be closer to all the teams that you're going to be playing anyways, yeah. and probably be better, a better football program? Are we good on our tier talks? I'm good on it. All right, let's move on to our next segment. We're gonna give them three. Uh, we got the three biggest transfers or the most impactful transfers. However you want to quantify it, I don't care. Just give me some takes here with uh, the upcoming season. What has been the most impactful or the best transfer player, whatever, however you want to rank it, uh, one through three. We'll start with you. I mean, I think the number one answer is kind of obvious. Caleb Downs, yeah. you took – I went elsewhere. You, I mean, I'll make, I'll make the case in. You took one team, one major powerhouse's best player, best player at like – by far mm -hmm. and put him on a different powerhouse team that is primed in position to compete for a national title. I think Caleb Downs, the effect of Caleb Downs transferring to Ohio State will have more effect than any other program in college football. Mm -hmm. Can I make the case for Dante Moore? Sure. I almost did. I, I don't hate Dante Moore. The idea, and I, we've talked about it almost ad nauseum, it seems like this offseason, and we talked about it with Dan, the idea that he got Dylan Gabriel and Dante Moore um, so basically his first five years of coaching college football are going to be two years of Bo Nix and the best years of Bo Nix, a year of Dylan Gabriel, and then two years, maybe three of Dante Moore. That's not a bad daggum run right there for not you as a head football not coach um, that you know is going to recruit well on the lines of scrimmage and you know is going to coach the hell out of the defensive side of the football. Um, that was a massive addition and a major uh, – you know, kind of monumental swing in college football uh, in terms of the future landscape of how that feels. And, by the way, I think Dante's game is far more suited for the Big Ten than it is for the for the uh, the Pac-12. So we, we kind of asked this question on the local hour last night of Georgia, where is the model of consistently living off transfer sustainable at the wide receiver position? And we all kind of agreed no. Is it different at the quarterback position? Can you go in each year and say, okay, we'll take this guy for two years and then another two years later we'll go get, get another guy? Is that a sustainable model? If that player is supremely talented, if not, you're Kentucky mm. or you're NC State okay. or right now you're Notre Dame. Yeah, Right. Right? Like Sam was not uniquely talented. Sam was a good college football player. I think Riley Leonard is supremely talented. But is he going to put together a supremely talented season? I don't know. But yeah, you you can build your model off of we're going to bring in dudes at the quarterback position as long as they're as long as they're dudes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I mean, I feel like most of the success stories you see in college football they are transfer portal guys. Like like how many of the last? I just don't know if we hear about the flameouts though. You don't. I mean, uh, well, you do. You do. But for every flameout, it seems like there's as many success stories. I mean, for God's sakes, the last, what, three Heisman-winning quarterbacks have been... It's like five out of six. It yeah, feels like I feel like, I think Bryce Young is the only one who wasn't a transfer, so... Yeah. Yeah. Devontae Smith, but that's not a quarterback. You're right. Yeah. 
Are we just do, going through his whole list, or are we just kind of round robin? Oh, yeah, let's go. The other I two? mean, I had Caleb Downs number two. Okay. I didn't so. put him on my list because I thought it was too much of a gimme. Yeah, That's I fair. had him number two. I, I kind of took chalk except for the last one. So you want me to go again? Yeah, you can go ahead. I think Jamon Dumas Johnson's addition to mm-hmm. Kentucky. I mean, you have a a guy that was a finalist for the Butkus Award, like or a semifinalist, one of the two. The fact that he's on that defense now is going to be huge, especially for a team that I mean. Who knows what could happen if you find yourself in the top 15 come week 11 of the college football season. I think his leadership, I think his his experience in big games is going to be huge for Kentucky's defense moving forward. Got to keep the weight off. Yeah. I think Kentucky fans will learn. They won't learn quickly. It'll take all season. JDJ's a pack-on guy, as we call him around here, Pop. Um, he'll start the season about 2.30. And then you'll look up about midway through November, and he might be pushing 240. So you got you got to, you got to be able to keep the weight off of him. Um, and that's that's been the mo with him, even coming out of high school. Like he came came to Georgia really heavy. I think he enrolled at Georgia north of 245. Hell yeah. Um, and had to cut a tremendous amount of weight before he got onto the field. Um, and even in, during his time at Georgia, I think Georgia fans will tell you there were some limitations from a a top-end speed standpoint and a, a general athleticism standpoint, uh, despite the fact that I'm with you. I think he's all, a preseason All-SEC caliber football player um, that left Georgia because they think C.J. Allen's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm with you. That's a massive addition. I went Caleb Downs, too. Who'd you go to? I haven't said my number one yet. Oh, But I sorry. didn't rank these like that. Okay. I, I, but my the first name on my list was DJU to mm. FSU. Because it, it, at the very least, it helps bridge you the gap. Because, I mean, you are not getting DJU away from starting Luke Cromanoke as your starting quarterback this yeah. year, a true freshman from the 2024 class. So at the very least, you got an experienced college football quarterback, a guy that's played in multiple conferences, had a lot of games under his belt, and he can go in there, help you bridge, like I said, bridge the gap for you and buy you a season of a development for a guy like Cromanoke or buy you another season until you can stack up some more talent. So I think that I was impactful for a program trajectory. A little stop gap. Yeah. Everybody needs a little stop gap. Uh, my question for – well, I guess he needed to get rid of Jordan Travis before Florida State became an option. but um, And he obviously had to leave Oregon State because they weren't a Power 5 football yeah. program anymore. Lost head coach, yeah. everything. Kind of a nightmare. But he ended up taking the backup from Oregon State. Childs? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, maybe. At some Childs, I think, yeah. That kid's at Michigan State with the former head coach. Uh-huh. So, And that kid – took split reps with DJU towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I was bullish on DJU off of one game, and that was the Notre Dame yeah. tape. Um, and then after that, it was just all downhill. Mm-hmm. It yeah. never got better. It's progressively gotten worse. Um, how about what Texas did at the wide receiver room as a whole? Hmm. They had three total transfers, Isaiah Bond, and they took Silas from Oregon State, yeah. who I like a lot. And Bond and Silas kind of both – projected slot receivers but they took another kid from houston that's huge mm-hmm. um that might play outside for him but what texas did this offseason at the at the wide receiver position and took nye black from alabama as well um they restocked and reloaded at the weapons position isaiah bond made the list for me for that yeah. very reason yeah i kind of i went kind of like similar to you in a different team where the amalgamation of just who you got in that room or not in the room but necessarily from the portal I chose Walter Nolan yeah, just because I, I think what – Could be a difference maker. Yeah, what he did for Ole Miss and the fact that what they've done in the portal just in the offseason in general I think is going to be huge for that team. And, I mean, it's really put them in a good position to be a playoff team this year. My concern for Walter is that it hasn't – it's been two years already and it hasn't popped like 
I mean, coming out of high school, I gave him the comp of Derrick Brown. At the Under Armour event here in Atlanta in February of 2022, I believe it would have been, maybe 2021, Walter Nolan shows up at like 345 pounds, like looks overweight, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. When he walked off the – when he got walked up to the fellas, like, oh, he, he looks kind of chubby today. I hand-timed him at like 488. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I was just like, you know, I watched him, uh, you know, the guys do the jump where they, they jump up and they pull their knees to their chest. I saw him do that, and I pulled out my phone immediately. I was like, this some bitch fit in a roll. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. 488, again, north of 335 pounds. He's about, he looked like he was about 345. Yeesh. And it was it was smooth, baby. And, yeah, it was Derrick Brown for me coming out, and it just hasn't, it hasn't been that. But everything about the profile says it could very much so be that. Mm-hmm. And if he's that for Ole Miss this year, they are a top five football program. Yeah, I, I mean, I put him on there because I was like, Lane Kiffin got something on the transfer portal trail that he could never get on the recruiting trail coming mm. out of high school, and that's a high-caliber five-star defensive player. And you know what? Maybe like – maybe the, I don't want to compare it because they're not going to be similar scenarios, but they are in a sense maybe is like Jermaine Johnson leaving a Georgia and going to a Florida State, and it's like – just go be a dude for us. Go rack up stacks. Go put up stupid numbers and just be a guy on defense. Maybe that's what Ole Miss kind of does with Walter Nolan. It's like, just go be a dude for us. Just go make plays. That's all. We don't really want to confine you into this one small space. Just go do it and be great. Yeah. Four sacks this year. Bro, this is how I know, this is how I know ESPN done fell off. How does ESPN not have TFLs listed as a stack category for a defense alignment? What on earth are you doing, children? Um, he had eight and a half TF, eight and a half tackles for loss. So he, he had a, a relatively decent season this year at Texas A and M, but it wasn't it wasn't what we think it should be. No, you know what I mean. This should be a twelve and a half TFL guy, seven sack guy yeah. is what this should be. This should be a constant presence, constant issue, constantly. We have to game plan around this guy. And again, if he becomes that for Ole Miss this year, they are something special. Do we have any more? No, I'm good. Hey, Got all my three. Give them three. All right, last segment of our national hour. We're going to rank these quarterbacks that are available in the upcoming NFL draft. Um, I think there's a consensus top three, and however you rank these three is dependent upon your feelings about the quarterback position. I have a hard time over-evaluating Caleb Williams. I, I know what it was this year. I understand that it was eight and five. I understand that there were some turnover concerns. The Notre Dame tape is atrocious. There are There are moments in that Notre Dame game where you're like, buddy, if you don't start learning how to protect the football, you won't survive in the NFL. But th- there are moments, as there are with, you know, that Patrick Mahomes guy, where you're like, oh, my God, this is God's gift to the quarterback position. This guy can do things with the football that not very many people on this planet can. Mm-hmm. And the difference with Caleb that I don't think a lot of people talk about and they won't talk about because he won't run at all, I legitimately think this is like a four-five-five five guy. Like, I think this is a, a really, really quick football player he is very explosive in nature his lower body is ridiculous like his his hips down strength and just his ability to like when people are on him continue to make throws and continue to shed tackles and do all this his lower body strength is phenomenal and his core strength is phenomenal Um, and his ability to twist and contort his spine is is part of the reason and I would say the primary reason why he's able to make the throws that he's able to make I would not, would not, would not pass up on this kid for somebody else because somebody else feels safer. That's not how you do this. This is a ceiling, height, weight, speed, 
you know, draft and league. All right. The, the best, biggest, fastest, strongest normally prevail on Sundays. I would not pass up on that guy. I have Drake May number two um, because though I do love Jaden Daniels, who is my number three quarterback in this NFL draft. I, I am not of the belief that Jaden Daniels is one of these guys that avoids big hits. No. I, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of this in the NFL draft, and we heard a lot of it, this about Bryce Young coming out too. Oh, it's okay that he's thin. Oh, it's okay that he's small. He avoids hits. He doesn't get hit hard. People don't hit him clean. Bro, Jaden Daniels gets hit like shattered glass. Bro, he looks uh, like a Looney Tunes conference. character when he gets hit. It's nuts. And I've heard over and over again during this process people say, Ooh, he's got a knack for avoiding the big one. No, he does not. No, he does not at all. And he's if you've ever seen him in person, he is 6'4". He is tall, but he is not physically imposing. There's not a lot of mass on this structure. This is not Josh Allen. This is damn sure not Cam Newton. This is not even Anthony Richardson. And look what happened to Anthony Richardson when he got to the league. Another football player that was un, uh, uh, unaware or unca incapable of being able to get down on the ground without getting lit up. And boom, 6'6", 250 pounds hurt out, you know, rookie year. Like, got got mic'd up versions of Trevor Lawrence telling him, hey, son, you need to learn how to get on the ground, right? So, I think Jaden Daniels fits in this category of elite athlete. Dude gets hit like shattered glass in the open field. And that, sh that, that worries me. So, for that reason, I put Drake May number two because of all of these guys, I feel like Drake's just going to be good. He's going to be good. And, and, and knowing when I draft a guy – that this guy is going to be good and he's going to be my NFL starter for a decade. And let's say he's anywhere from Andy Dalton to Josh Allen. We're taking that. Like, that feels great. Mm -hmm. We feel very, very confident about that selection, whereas Jaden feels a little bit more uh, hesitant in terms of guarantees. Now, I have a sizable gap, like enough to where I, I probably wouldn't draft another quarterback in the second round. I would just draft a, a not, nice, solid position player and then I would draft one of these quarterbacks in the third round, which, by the way, is the history of the NFL draft. Normally, quarterbacks don't get drafted in the second round. I think Jalen Hurts was the first one in recent memory to do it. And then I think they took another one uh, in the last couple of drafts in that second round. But normally, it doesn't happen. So, I have Penix number four. And then I have J.J. McCarthy behind him. And then I have another, not as sizable gap, but I have another gap. And I have Spencer Rattler and then Bo Nix. And if I were to circle a guy – and say, hey, if this dude gets a chance in the league, he will drastically outperform his draft selection, it would be Spencer Rattler. I think mm -hmm. Spencer Rattler is an NFL quarterback. Yeah, I think Spencer Rattler has the potential to be the biggest steal of this draft where you could get a, a fourth or fifth round guy and he's your franchise quarterback. I think And that, by the way, can do it on a shitty team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We found that out this year in the SEC. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There were games where he was running for his life and somehow managed to complete 90% of the passes. Like, it's insane. Yeah. He got sacked seven times against North Carolina. I think he went like 28 for 31. I mean, shoot, in a freaking rainstorm against Georgia, he had a phenomenal first half and even had a phenomenal – for 21 in the first half against Georgia. Yeah, I mean, Ooh. so he, he can do it against the good teams in all conditions. Like, that dude can play ball flat out. Yeah, but I, I, I personally think there's a bigger gap between one, two, and three. Mm. Like, there's one, two, and then a bigger gap than Jaden Daniels. Yeah. I, I just don't know how Jaden Daniels – I don't see an NFL quarterback when I watch him play. I see an extremely talented guy that can throw the ball well, but – I saw it against Mississippi State. He, he threw a couple balls against Mississippi State. I'm like, oh, shit, Sunday throw. Now, I know he's throwing to Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas. Mm -hmm. I, another another thing that I don't think often gets brought up in this discussion is like, damn, bro, he's been throwing to some guys for yes. two straight years, man. Like, um, that's, that's a benefit to him as well. But 
I, I see an NFL thrower. I don't see an NFL sustainable play style. That that's what concerns me. Yeah, I mean throwing absolutely it's there. I just don't know if quarterback play as far mm. as reading and being able to make the right decision. That's and, where I don't see it translating. And to that to that notion, Brian Kelly mentioned that this this offseason is like, hey, we need this guy to be more confident in the system and when he sees something to trust that it's gonna develop and trust that it's gonna open. And I would also tell you this there was there was a lack of progression in his development in terms of one, two, three read, check down, whatever. Because for him, it was there's the primary read, there's the secondary read. Oh shit, they're in man coverage. I'm taking off. Yep. You know what I mean? Like the 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 legs hampered his development from, or at least our ability to see his development from a processing standpoint. So I think there's some merit in that opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, I think that's a solid. I, th- I think that's honestly how I would have probably put my list out. I think that's. Pr- this Bo Nick's first round stuff makes me sick. It makes uh, my tummy turn. I I don't. I don't same like thing it. with the same thing with the JJ McCarthy stuff. Yeah, yeah. And top I, fifteen I do, pick. You kind of pushed back on me earlier uh, before the show about hey, like you have McCarthy fifth. Like that's higher than I thought you would have had him. And I remember covering JJ in high school um, and watching him at the Elite Eleven. And he he's a traitsy dude. He's traitsy as shit. The 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 fear for me on JJ is that like. Yeah, we have the start sample size, but we don't have the rep count sample size. Like you had, you don't have the amount of throws and the 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 repertoire of throws for me to know that you can do everything we're going to task you to do on the next level. Yeah, and I, I guess it also surprised me just because recently it feels like we've been in an age of the NFL draft where you see five or six quarterbacks taken off the board each first yeah. round. It feels like, and I feel like this is not that draft class. So mm-hmm. when you have McCarthy at the five spot, it doesn't necessarily mean he's a first round pick, but in the past, it's kind of alluded to that. So I think that's where the surprise kind of came from. Mm-hmm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got a whole other hour of content coming up for you, and it's going to be a great one. We're going to take it to the board and talk some football. Make sure you join us here in about 45 seconds.